0: You're up. Page 22. Anybody really into guitar? A couple of you. Anybody know anything about blues guitar? Who's the greatest blues guitar player of all time? You know? His name is Robert Johnson. There's a legend about Robert Johnson, the reason he became such an incredible guitar player. Anybody know? Anybody ever heard this before? You ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Anybody ever seen it, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A few of you. Remember this scene where there's a crossroads? There's this young man standing out there in the middle of nowhere, and they stop and they pick him up. They say, what are you doing out here in the middle of nowhere? And he said, I found out that if I'd meet the devil here at these crossroads... He'd teach me how to play this guitar better than anybody in the world. So they asked him how that happened. He said, well, I had to trade my soul. So the, t- the legend is Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil so he could play the guitar. Here's the line in the movie. Delmer says, you mean you traded your ever-loving soul? because you could play that there guitar? And the guy says this. I wasn't using it anyway. I think it's one of the most frightening lines in a movie. And I think some of you are that passive about your ever-loving soul. Not using it anyway. And quite frankly, I think that there are a lot of people, because of the power of the media, that you'd sell your ever-loving soul for? Fill in the blank. <clears throat> so really the question today is, what, what is worth your life, or even more profound than that, what's worth your ever-loving soul? So in this text, he says... Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name lift up my hands. Now, let's go back to page 19. This is where I left off this morning. Therefore, since we have justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace for which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if there's a God, and this God is holy, and He's righteous, and He is all-powerful, and we're going to have to face Him one day, what better news is there is that we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And when we discover this, when we believe this, shouldn't it be the response Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So there's two major thoughts here tonight. First, the great good and one true God bestows his grace. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Now, the steadfast love, if you've been around Parkwood, uh, we've been preaching through the Psalms. This phrase, steadfast love, is coming up over and over again. It means the covenant-keeping, never-ending love of God. That God's love set toward his people never ends. So because your your covenant-keeping love, this love that you have, this affection that you have set on your people, is never-ending, it's better than life. Literally, here's what it says in the Hebrew. It's better than being alive. Your steadfast love is better than being alive. Now, I think in this room some of you are convinced of that. I think there are a lot of you that are really not convinced at all. You think that's like way big overstatement of the scripture. Uh, in fact, I think you go so far as to, as to say you think a lot of people are just crazy. Um, that why would they even stake their life on this? Well, if Ephesians 2 is true, this is why you stake your life on it. Ephesians 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now let me just stop right there. Because here is what the generation that you're living in says is salvation. They take this verse and turn it on its head and say, Here is salvation. Here is joy. Here's joy. Live by the passion of your flesh. If you'll live by the passion of your flesh, and if you'll carry out every legitimate desire of your body, then you'll be saved. You'll have joy. Now, I just I just have one real question for those of you who are buying that. How's it working for you? So when you get home by yourself and you lay your head down on the pillow at night, how's that working for you? So you're laying there on your pillow going, yes, man, my life is awesome. No, here's... Here's what you eventually have to do when you give yourself to the passions of your flesh. You've got to find a way to dull that pain that's down deep in here. And that's why addictions are rampant in our culture is because people got to dull the pain for this so-called salvation that they've found, and they're going deeper and deeper and deeper down into the hole. Now, I'm speaking out of experience here. I'm I'm not speaking simply out of observation. It's it's when you believe salvation is somewhere else other than the Lord God Almighty. Verse 4, but God. I don't care what you've done, who you are, and what what lies you have believed, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. It's the same love that's being talked about in Psalm 63, the steadfast love of God. Because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Only a person who has been saved by the grace of God alone, through Christ alone, that is, they're not trusting in anything that they can do for their salvation. Only those people can say that, the st- that God's steadfast love is better than life. This is a quote from a guy named Thomas Brooks. Many men or women, we can say people, many people have been weary of their own lives as is evidence in Scripture and history. But no person was ever yet found that was weary of the love and favor of God. Now what he means, a person who's come to grasp and understand that. Now, look on the top of the next page. Here's my question to you. Is Christ worth my life? Now, Jesus gives an incredible illustration here. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then in joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. All right. So if you study the history of Israel in that part of the world, what's going on there now has been going on for millennia now. Wars, conquering. So when the people of Israel were about to be conquered, when they would flee... As they were making their way to where they were going, they knew they'd be plundered if they were defeated. They would bury expensive things along the way. So it's still not unusual today for people to find incredible things and dig them up in seemingly the middle of nowhere. Now here's how the law worked in the land of Israel. If you discovered something in that field, you were not free to take it because it belonged to the person who owns the field. So now you see the illustration making sense. So this person finds something in the field, so they take everything that they own and they buy the field. Now, what is the primary motivation according to this verse? Is it the object or the affection? Look at the verse. Is it the object or the affection? Who for, then in his, what? Joy. Joy. In his joy, he sells all that he has and buys that field. This is John Piper from Desiring God. The reason people do not come to the light is because they do not love it. The reason people do not come to the light is because they do not love it. Love for the light is not caused by coming to the light. We come because we love it. We come because we love it. Now, (laughs) this is how God works through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, You got to see the treasure. And only the Holy Spirit makes you see the treasure. And you can trample right over the top of it if you're not careful. And we've pled with you for weeks, or for you, and I've pled for you today, that you're going to see the treasure. And that with joy over it, you're going to make a decision, an answer to this question, is Christ worth my life? Is he worth it all? Because here's the lie some of you believe. I believed it for a while. Jesus is getting in the way of what I really want. And let me tell you the frightening truth, young man or woman. He might let you get it. He might let you get it. And by his grace today, he's still calling to you. The answer to the question is crucial. Is Christ worth my life. Second thing, the goodness of His grace brings expressions of Godward joy. So, when you sell everything you have, you buy the field. It says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. So my lips will praise you. I'm going to use words. I will bless you as long as I live. This literally means I'll kneel in adoration. So this is reverence to God with a physical acknowledgement. In my name I will lift up, your name I will lift up my hands. So what does this mean? I'll do this right here. The song's playing. and The flag's waving. What am I doing? I pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem. But why am I doing this? All right. Reverence or what else? respect, allegiance, honor. So what the Bible is saying that we have physical expressions of, of expressing ourselves. So, and I'm not trying to get in controversy here. I'm not trying to create any. But when an NFL player is doing this, he may be saying a lot of things in his own mind. But what's he saying to most people? I disrespect. Now, he may be having a statement in his own mind. I'm not going to discount that. But he's saying disrespect. So I just want you to hear me, Christians, speaking to Christians. So when you stand through worship service like this, it's disrespect. Not to us. What you're communicating to the rest of us is what you think. You say, well, maybe I'm having a bad day. Maybe I don't really like the song. Is personal preference the means by which we worship God? What's the basis of why we worship God? His steadfast love is better than life. Because his steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I'm going to kneel in adoration to you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'm going to lift up my hands. Now, this is Acts chapter 13. It says, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, so these are Gentile believers, when they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, you see the connection here? So God is sovereign over salvation, as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. But what is the means by which they believed? What was going on? Requires a little comprehension. What was happening around them? The Christians were doing what? Y'all are looking at me like, I have no idea. Let me help you they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So these believers were worshiping God, and while they're doing that, the non-believers are going, yes! Yes, there's something distinct about that. And God used it as a means in which they were appointed to eternal life. Thomas Shepard said, it is, is it possible that any man should love another and not commend him nor speak of him? (laughs) The answer to that question is no, it is not possible. So here's my final question. Am I expressing Godward joy? Well, if I don't have it, I'm not expressing it. (laughs) So that's really the core issue. Do I have Godward joy? But if I claim to have it, am I expressing it? Well, I'm not a very expressive person, you may say. Okay. God's not really so much considered about you as a person as a part of what you, as as, as he is concerned with who you are a part of. Because here's what you're a part of. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are now a part of God's people if you're a Christian. And why are you a part of God's people? That you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So once you were God's enemy, but now you've been reconciled to God. You are now his people with an express purpose to make him known. To make the excellencies of him known. Not out of duty, but out of delight. It's out of joy that God's people praise him. Uh, there used to be this uh, guy who did youth speaking. He was the oldest living survivor with cystic fibrosis. He was 48 when he died. He was the most intense preacher I've ever heard in my life. He would have to gasp for a breath before he could preach. And he was an anointed man of the Holy Spirit. And he was famous for this question. How good is your good news? How good is your good news. Because if it's not good to you and you're not expressing it as that, it's not going to be good to anybody else. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This ought to happen in your life. You ought to get asked occasionally, what is wrong with you? People ought to ask you, there's something different about you? I don't exactly know what it is. Now, I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen at this age. Really, most of your life, but really between the ages of 15 and 25. It's when one of your friends have a crisis. They're going to come to you and they're going to say, there's something different about you. I've been watching it. Can you tell me what it is? Because how you deal with life and how I deal with life is very different. And the scripture says you need to be ready for that moment. Now, what's been attractional to them is the evidence of joy and the expression of joy that is in your life. It's not necessarily you're walking around singing praise something. It's just the evidence of the fact that there's something distinct and different. John Piper in Don't Waste Your Life said, to make others glad in God with an everlasting gladness, our lives must show that he is more precious than life. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I've been saying this for years. There are two things that ought to be praising God, your life and your lips. The way you live, should be expressing a joyful praise to God and what comes through your mouth, what you say should be expressing a joyful praise to God. If there's a question not in your book because some of you are going through some really difficult things. There's more of you in here than you know that others are, but some of you are going through some really difficult things. I have a question for you. What is dictating? What is dictating my offering of praise? I'm going to open my Bible. So there used to be a a kids worker. I think you're all too young now to remember her. Her name was Gloria McDonald. And uh, Gloria is one of the most joyful Christians I've ever met in my life. And Gloria contracted cancer. (laughs) This, This lady, this lady, she like, Remodeled houses. She did, not her husband. She did. She, she was wide open, active, joyful. She sang in the choir. You, you could point her out in a moment. Well, she is absolutely ravaged with cancer. She is a bag of bones. And she, she came to... Um, me and said I, I would like to say something at the end of the service if I could I said certainly and she came up hands trembling and she opened her Bible and this is what she read and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. She said, brothers and sisters, God has predestined me to have cancer to make me more like Christ. Don't you weep for me. She wasn't done. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he also called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, He also glorified. Then she said, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to have cancer forever. She wasn't done. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? Or cancer, she said. And it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation or cancer will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. She looked out at us and she said this. She said, it's not about a longer life here. It's about what Christ has done to redeem us to himself. And I'm about to go see him before you. Are you going to see him? Because while we were had enemies, Christ died for us. So some of you right now, you'd sell your soul play guitar, play a sport, go to the right college. What if something happens to you? You get cancer, have a car wreck, and it mangles your face, breaks your leg, you can never run again. Your salvation's gone. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And if you're in Jesus There ain't nothing, nothing that can separate you from him. Now, that's better than life. And because his loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise him. And every believer, that's their story. Because his loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise him. Let's pray. Lord, I hope in no way I've belittled any of the pain of these young men and women here. It's my plea that they're going to see beyond the pain to the Savior who died for them, who died to set them free, who died to give them all they need for life and godliness, even in the midst of extreme difficulty, who died so that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. That is incredibly good news. So, Lord, I pray now that your people will open their lips and praise you. That they will acknowledge you with their bodies. That you will be glorified in this place. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Now may we proclaim it to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.